Welcome to the St. Michael Easter podcast series. My name is Tim Smith, and I will be leading our meditation today. Our theme this Easter is big love. God's holy work is fulfilled in the resurrection of Christ, the defeat of death itself. We have received the gift of new life, and we can use that gift to spread God's big love to those near and far. Joining Christians everywhere during this Easter season, we proclaim with joy, Alleluia, the Lord is risen indeed. Come, let us adore him, Alleluia. A reading from Luke chapter eight, verses 26 to 39. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hands and foot and kept under guard, He had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of that man... They went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Here ends the reading. When the disciples started this boat ride, Jesus said, Let us go to the other side. After such a harrowing event of the storm of the Sea of Galilee, the disciples must have thought that this was God's sign that they were not to go to this forbidden place. Now that the storm had suddenly stopped at the command of Jesus, the water was absolutely still. There's only one way to keep going now. Grab the oars and start rowing. Jesus must have directed them to start rowing to their intended destination. As the boat approaches, shrieking sounds are heard coming across the water from the shoreline. Soon the disciples discern a human form in the moonlight, the source of these chilling sounds. A closer look suggests this screaming person is naked and living among the tombs. Now, the disciples' original misgivings about this journey get even more complicated. As observant Jews, they are not only forbidden to set foot on Gentile soil, they were not even allowed to pronounce the name of this area, which they only referred to as the other side. They are also prohibited from viewing a naked man, and furthermore, they have issues with tombs, deeming them to be unclean as well. Suddenly, there are more dilemmas of ritual purity to face than they know what to do with. They must have thought, what has Jesus gotten us into? 
As the boat finally reaches the eastern edge of the Sea of Galilee and the bow wedges into the stony shore, Luke's account of this journey continues. And when he came out onto the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed by demons. Did you catch that? Luke is telling us that only Jesus got out of the boat. The disciples apparently stay safely in the boat, fearfully watching this scene unfold. This trifecta of ritual impurity is just too much for them to deal with. So the disciples vote with their feet and stay put in the boat. We can certainly relate to their reluctance. While in theory we would all say we're going to go where Jesus goes, There are times when Jesus leads us outside our comfort zone and we stay put in our boats with the effect of paralyzing our compassion. In his book, Abba's Child, Brenning Manning makes an arresting observation when he suggests that compassion starts when we know why our enemy cries. Thus, our compassion for this demoniac begins when we know why he weeps and why he screams. In the land surrounding Palestine, demonic possession was not uncommon. Demon worship and even dedicating one's child to the devil was not unheard of. Thus, it could be that this no-name person has been demon-possessed for quite some time. And he's not a pretty sight either. His arms and legs are most likely ringed with concentric layers of scar tissue, the result of repeatedly contesting the chains that others use to try and confine him to this place of the living dead, and effectively separating him from everyone he knows and loves. Now free of those chains, he tortures himself by gashing his body with stones. Some of his recent wounds might still be oozing pus and blood. Physically and spiritually, he is both nauseating and repulsive. But can you imagine what it must have been like not to belong to anyone? To have no home, no friends, no family, and no one who even cares one iota about you. To be utterly alone and totally forgotten. Over the years, this demoniac has only known abandonment, humiliation, and rejection. How worthless and hopeless must he have felt? What might years of absorbing that kind of pain do to your psyche and your soul? For in the eyes of his own culture, he is subhuman. And yet the compassionate heart of the Father passionately beats for this demoniac with the same intensity as it does for his only begotten son. The demoniac doesn't know it yet, but he is about to come face to face with God's big love. The demoniac sees the boat's beach and only one person gets out. But instead of running away in fear, he is drawn to this person. Approaching Jesus, this man possessed suddenly realizes that the mysterious person from the other boat has facial hair, indicating that he is a Jew. Incredible! What is a Jew doing over here, let alone at this time of the night? It doesn't take long for the demoniac to realize that this Jew has come to fight for him. The questions begin to whirl in his mind. How can this be? Well, the fight doesn't take very long. The demons know exactly who he is, Yeshua, the Lord's rescuer, and they know that they are out of their league with Jesus. 
So Jesus consents to the demon's request to be sent into the boars, who then run down the slope into the sea and drown. The disciples watch all of this unfold with amazement. What's even more amazing is that boars are good swimmers, and the fact that all 2,000 of them drown is stunning. This effectively wrecks the local agrarian economy. Rather than being overjoyed that one of their own has been freed by this large-scale exorcism, the townspeople are angry with Jesus over the loss of their boars and demand that he leave this place immediately. It is part of the continuing legacy of the fall that boars can be more valued than a miraculously rescued human being. Josephus, a first century historian, tells us that the Roman 10th Legion is occupying Palestine at the time of Jesus. And amazingly, their mascot is the boar. Thus, there is a prophetic nature to the statement that Jesus has made in the drowning of these animals as well. After this, we find the demoniac sitting at the feet of Jesus, the posture of a disciple, totally committed to the one who cared enough to rescue him. Furthermore, Luke tells us this demoniac in his right mind and has not only been rescued, but also has been fully restored. And that's the way it always is with Jesus, isn't it? You don't just get rescued. You get restored as wholeness and healing penetrates every aspect of your being. When Jesus is about to leave and sail back to Capernaum with his still-in-the-boat disciples, this rescued and restored ex-demoniac wants to go with him. And who can blame him? But instead, Jesus tells him to return to his house, meaning his village, and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. This reminds us that we are never just saved from something, but that we are always saved for something, and that is the mission of God. When Jesus returns to this part of the Decapolis, several months later, 4,000 people come out to see Jesus, leading to the feeding of the 4,000 all because one person was obedient and just shared his story. A person who once was viewed as subhuman by his own culture is rescued by big love and becomes the first missionary of the New Testament. This is really a story about God's heart and to what extent God will go to rescue one human being. What do you need to be rescued from? Or if you've been rescued, What have you been rescued to? And if you're one of the disciples, what boat is Jesus asking you to get out of so that you can join him on mission? Amen. Please join me as we continue with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. 
Almighty God, whom truly to know is everlasting life, grant us so perfectly to know your Son, Jesus Christ, to be the way, the truth, and the life, that we may steadfastly follow his steps in the way that leads to life eternal. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.